Well, aren't you glad he looked beyond your faults? Think about that. And I look around probably some of your faults aren't as great as my faults. And maybe some of my faults aren't as great as some of your faults. <laughs> but he looked beyond all faults, all our faults, and he saw our need. Well, let me say this once again, that our ultimate goal and purpose is to take the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, into all the world. That's why we value missions. And the vehicle that God uses to accomplish this great commission is the local church. That's why we value the ministry of the local church. And as I said last week, the word church does not refer to a building. The word church is ecclesia. It's those who have been called out from to. How many know that you have been called out of darkness into the marvelous, wonderful light of Jesus Christ? And as we gather together today, we gather as the church of Jesus Christ. And that's why we value people. Because people are the vehicle that God uses to take the message of Jesus Christ, the good news, to all the world and make disciples of all nations. Today, we value people. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word as you turn to Luke chapter 19, or if you want to look to it on the screen, or if you want to call it up on your electronic device, However, whatever floats your boat, man. Luke chapter 19. It's a very familiar story, maybe not familiar to some. But uh, this is a great historical account that we read in God's word. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus? Come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone home to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house 
because this man, too, is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why we value people. You may be seated. Zacchaeus was a small man in his own eyes, as well as in the eyes of others, but not to Jesus. You see, in Jesus' eyes, there are no insignificant people, nor should there be in ours. We may say that everyone is of equal value and important in God's eyes and therefore in ours, but we don't always live like that, do we? Because we value people, some people more than others, and there's some that we think are, well, they're not important or significant at all. This morning, first, I want us to take a look at Zacchaeus' situation. The Bible tells us that he was a wealthy man. He was rich. But we also know that he was rejected. He was a chief tax collector in that region. And his headquarters was Jericho. What I found interesting, not only was he a tax collector, but he was the chief tax collector. Now, who were the tax collectors? The tax collectors were Israelites who turned their back on their fellow men and started to work for the despised Roman government, taking taxes from the Israelites, taking taxes from their countrymen and giving it to the Roman government. Now, as long as Rome received what Rome wanted, that was fine. And you know what the tax collectors did? They received as much as they could from the people and only gave what Rome required, therefore padding their own pockets. What I read was this, that the chief collector who would collect from the other tax collectors, would even collect more than what Rome would want. So he would not only pad his pockets from the people and from his employees, the other tax collectors, he was double dipping. No wonder he was so wealthy. But he was also despised and rejected. It's kind of interesting that the Bible refers to them in their own category. When you talk about sinners, you talk about those who lie, those who gossip, those who commit adultery. There's all kinds of sinners, but the tax collectors did not even go in the category of sinners. They always went into their own category. They were so notoriously corrupt that whenever you read in the Bible about sinners, You also read about tax collectors and sinners. They had their own category because they were so notoriously corrupt, despised and rejected. 
conspirers with Rome, those who have turned their back on their country fellowmen, now to make money off their brothers and sisters and relatives and to be a partner with Rome. Now Jesus was coming through town. He was on his way to Jerusalem to his divine destiny with the cross. And at the time, Jesus was very popular. He was a celebrity of the day and a great crowd form. Now Zacchaeus being, remember in Sunday school, Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. Zacchaeus, according to the song, was a wee little man. The Bible says that he was a small or short. I guess to be politically correct these days, we have to say that he was vertically challenged. Is that, is that what we use? Yeah. He was a man, to be politically correct and don't want to offend anybody, he was vertically challenged. And because he was vertically challenged and because of the crowd, he wanted to see Jesus. And the crowd didn't make it any easier on him because they didn't like him. And I'm sure that every time he was trying to push through the crowd, the crowd would just even expand their arms a little more to make sure that this vertically challenged man couldn't see Jesus. It sort of reminded me this story as I was reading it. I was reminded of back in 2005, uh, somebody gave me tickets to the PGA Open a PGA Championship, the Pro Golf Association Championship in Springfield, New Jersey at Baltistraw. It just so happened that year that Phil Mickelson won. But uh, Pastor John and I went up to, uh, was, I think it was a Thursday, uh, the Thursday opening round. And our biggest thing was we wanted to see Tiger. And we saw that he teed off at 1 o'clock. So in our minds, we figured... Hey, 11.30, go up to the clubhouse, get a little bite to eat, get to the first tee like around 12 o'clock so we could wait there for an hour to see Tiger Woods. Well, I think the other 20,000 people thought the same thing because we get to the first tee and I mean, there's just an hour before Tiger even tees off, there's just a crowd of people gathered around and we were able to get up on this little incline a little bit, and we were as far as from here to the back of the sanctuary, but the tee was elevated, so when Tiger Woods walked out on the tee, even though we were as far from here to the back of the sanctuary, it was like, wow. And then we said, let's run down to the second tee. Well, that was crowded. Let's run down to the second green. That was crowded. And you know, it was one of these things where usually at a golf course, you'll have hole 1, hole 9, hole 10, and hole 18 right around the clubhouse. But the lower course at Baltistraw is one that only has 1 and 18 by the clubhouse. Uh, holes 9 and 10 are all the way down at the end of the course. So we looked at one another and said, let's go down to the 10th hole. Surely no one will be there. And we'll wait there for two hours so we can see Tiger. The 10th hole was only a little par 3, so we, we figured if we get by the green, we can see him tee off, and then we can see him up by the green. Even two hours ahead of time in anticipation, there was still a crowd that had gathered, and we were still three deep to see him. And I thought of Zacchaeus, wanting so desperately to see Jesus 
He kept trying. Why? Because Zacchaeus had a need. Is this, is that frozen, Jeff? Either my clicker's not working or... Zacchaeus had a need. What was his need? Even though he was wealthy. Even though he had met his material goals. Even though he was rich. It still wasn't enough. He had a restless heart. How many know you can have everything this world can offer, but if you don't have Jesus, you can still have a restless heart? As one of the old church forefathers, theologian Augustine said, Our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. How many can attribute to that? Your heart was restless until you found God. He knew Jesus coming through offered hope. Zacchaeus, I believe, felt like the prodigal son, a rebellious one who turned his back on his family members to conspire with Rome. He wanted to come back, but he couldn't. And now here was one who offered hope. How many know there's always hope in Jesus Christ? That's why we reach out to all with hope. Because there's always hope in Jesus. Zacchaeus realized his failures. He realized his rejection of his country folk. But all of a sudden he realized that the man who was about ready to pass through his town, offered hope because he heard how Jesus went to the home of tax collectors and how there was one of his close followers who was even once a tax collector by the name of Levi, who is now Matthew. And all of a sudden, there's this restlessness in his heart. There's this hope that's coming through, and I have to see Jesus so he runs ahead of the crowd, and this distinguished, rich, wealthy man who's short in stature, vertically challenged, climbs up a sycamore tree just to get a glimpse of Jesus as he comes by. And when Jesus reaches that spot and he sees this man up in the tree he looked up now don't miss this point he says hey you get down come over here no he didn't he says Zacchaeus how did he know his name? Was it divine knowledge? Was it divine discernment? Maybe as they were walking along, Matthew says, 
hey, Jesus, up in the tree, it's the tax collector, the chief tax collector in this region. His name is Zacchaeus. I don't know how he knew his name, but he called him by name. Zacchaeus, you come down. All right, can I solve a dispute here this morning? I want to solve this dispute. All you Dunkin' Donut fans, raise your hands. All you Starbucks, raise your hands. Oh, wow. That's good. When I go to Dunkin' Donuts, they'll hand me a receipt and they'll say, your number is 173. I wait and I hear the girl call, uh, number 173, number 173, your order's ready, number 173. Uh, oh, that's me. When I go to Starbucks and place an order, and your name is Jeff. Jeff, your order is ready. I'm glad I have an identity and not just a number. How many know that none of us are anonymous to God? God knows your name. Next week, we're going to start a sermon series for four weeks called Anonymous. How many know that we're just not a number in the sea of humanity, but God knows your name. He has given you a name. He has given you an identity, and he cares for you individually. God knows your name. You're not just a number. You're not just a person. Jesus looked up and didn't say, hey, you, get down. He says, Zacchaeus, he calls him by name, just like God knows all of your names. In preparation for this message, I was reading this uh, little interesting story about the confessions of a high school basketball coach. He was from Michigan, and he took his high school team, and they won the state championship. And on top of it, he was named Coach of the Year. He said he felt like a hero because wherever he went in that community, everybody knew his name until one day, he says, reality struck. He said he was in his homeroom study and all the students were filling out their fall schedule. And this one little shy, timid girl in the back raised her hand and said, I know all the answers here, but sir, I just don't know one thing. What's your name? And all of a sudden he realized that all the success he had, all of a sudden he realized that he failed in those eight months to reach out to a girl who had been in the study hall for eight months he didn't even know her name and she didn't know his name we're not anonymous to god 
you are so valued that God knows your name. As excited, as astounded, when Jesus called his name and said, get down, I have to go to your house. The crowd was deeply upset and offended. They muttered. I still hear the muttering echoing today. Don't they know who he is? He can't go to his house. That's just not proper to eat with a tax collector. At least without him repenting. It's like he's condoning sin. Who does he think he is? Well, you would think he would at least share with Zacchaeus the steps to peace with God or the four spiritual laws or James Kennedy evangelism explosion principles. He, he just can't go. And the cloud was muttering. They were, they were muttering amongst one another. And Jesus surprised them with his grace. You know, too many Christians are like that crowd. We're gracious to our own. But when one comes from the outside whom we don't agree with, What are some of my takeaways? What are some of the things I've learned? Jesus met Zacchaeus with unconditional love and acceptance. Unconditional love and acceptance. Even though he was a despised, wretched, one who turned his back on his fellow men, who conspired with Rome, tax collector. Jesus saw a seeker up in the tree and called him by name to say, come. Secondly, perfection was not required first. Boy, how many times do we make our own requirements before we'll talk to someone? But Jesus values everyone. He valued Zacchaeus so much that it wasn't Zacchaeus before I come. You need to do this, 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 and that. No, I'm coming to your house. Now, don't get me wrong. In order to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you have to repent. But what is it that leads us to repentance? Romans 2.4 tells us, God's kindness leads you to repentance. We know it's the Holy Spirit that draws people. And as we aid the Holy Spirit, I don't think it helps to throw people's faults and sins before them. But we show them the kindness of God. And it's the kindness of God that leads them to repentance. Now, Mark Twain has been... Uh, Noted for this quote, but actually, if you look at it, it actually goes back further than Mark Twain to a, a guy by the name of Christian Bovey. This is a very, very profound quote. Um, it may say simple, but you got to look at it for many a times. Listen to what Christian Bovey said and attributed to Mark Twain. Kindness is a language the dumb can speak or the mute can speak. The deaf can hear. 
and the blind can see. Kindness. Mutes can't speak, but to the language they can speak. Deaf can't hear, but it's a language they hear. Blind can't see, but it's a language they hear. Kindness is a language the mute can speak, the deaf can hear, and the blind can see. And we know that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Unconditional love has transforming power. God's unconditional love and his kindness has transforming power. Back in 1983, Jamie Buckingham, and if that name sounds familiar, let me just uh, uh, give you some of the books that he co-authored. How many remember Run Baby Run, the story of Nikki Cruz? He co-authored that with Nikki Cruz. Shout It From the Rooftops, he co-authored that with um, Pat, uh, come on, Pat Robertson. He also pastored a church and founded a church down in Melbourne, Florida. Jamie Buckingham, before he died in 1982, uh, uh, was an editor for Charisma magazine. Back in, 18, uh, back in 1983, he wrote a book, Power for Living. Anybody remember that book? Advertise? What the book was, was it was testimonies of celebrities who had become Christians. And in that book, he tells a story about a name, a fellow by the name of Fred Cranock, who was a, a seminary professor. And as Fred was lecturing at Yale University, he told the students this story, that he and his wife went to Gatlinburg, Tennessee, for a vacation, for a summer vacation, just for a little getaway. And while they were there, they found this little quaint restaurant that they went into one night, and just wanting a quiet meal by themselves, they sat down. Out of the corner of Fred's eye, he noticed this older, white-haired man roaming around, just talking to people at different tables. And inside, Fred says, oh, man, I hope he doesn't come over here. And sure enough, before you know it, this man came over, stood at the table of Fred and his wife, says, where, where are you all from? Fred goes, we're from Oklahoma. Ah, I hear that's a great state, but never been there before. What do you do? Fred says, well, I teach homiletics at a seminary in Oklahoma called Phillips University. Ah, so you teach preachers, do you? Man, have I got a story for you. And he pulls up a chair and sits down at their table. He says, hi, I'm Ben Hooper. And I was born just close to this area, beyond those hills. My mother wasn't married, so when I was born, I, I had a really hard time. When I went to school, kids had a name for me that wasn't very nice. 
So at recess time and lunchtime, I always stayed to myself because it hurt so deep what they would call me. Worse than that, Saturdays when I went into town, all the townspeople were eyeing me, just piercing through me, and you could hear what they were thinking. I wonder who his daddy is. When I was 12, a new preacher came to our church. And I was always coming late, and I would always leave early. But one day, the preacher benediction was so quick, I got caught and had to slip out with the crowd. I could feel every eye of the church on me, just wondering. And all of a sudden, I felt this big hand come on my shoulder. I looked up, and the preacher was looking right at me. Who are you, son? Whose boy are you? And I felt the weight, the condemnation, the big black crowd, even the preachers putting me down. He looked at me, studied my face, and began to make a big smile of recognition. Wait a minute, he says. I know who you are. I see family resemblance. You're a son of God. And with that, he patted my back and he said these words. Boy, you have a great inheritance. Go and claim it. He said, that man, old man, looked across the table into my eyes and into my wife's eyes and said this. That was the most important single sentence someone ever said to me. And with that, he smiled, he shook our hands, and he went to the next table to see how they were doing. Fred says, as I'm sitting there eating my dinner, all of a sudden it dawned on me that he remembered the people of Tennessee on twice, on two occasions, elected for their governor an illegitimate person whose name was Ben Hooper. We have a name. We have a heritage. We have an identity. We are valuable to God. Go out and live it. Would you bow your heads with me?